Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. So, riding the train home from work today, right? I ride Subway. I guess I'll take this hood off so it don't look like I'm trying to rob y'all. Anyway, I ride the Subway to work. Um, oh, turn the wrong way. Do I sound better now? Okay, anyway. Um, so, I take the Subway to work. I found that when I tell people I take the subway to work, that seems to surprise y'all. No lie, I mentioned something at work one day about taking the subway, and Stephen A. Smith heard me, and the outright shock that he had that I would be smirch my buttocks with an MTA uh, vehicle. Like, it was actually pretty funny. Anyway, so I'm on the train today, and dude comes on, and it was a surprisingly sparse car, which on one hand works out well for you if you try to ask for money uh, because you have a bit more of like a captive type audience. On the other hand, it like doesn't work because a few people that's going to like pony up. And I'll be honest with you. I see people get money like outside of train stations when they post it up. But unless you plan on dancing or putting on some sort of exquisite uh, performance with a musical instrument, you generally aren't going to do very well on the subway just with your sob story. I, I, I just haven't seen a lot of sob stories come up. So anyway, this dude got on the train, and he gave his story. Uh, his story was he just got put out of his apartment or something like that. And I forget where he said he was staying, but he said that his kids were staying um, – with his parents, you know, but they on a fixed income, you know, all that. And so I gave him a little bread, right? Like, I don't know why I was feeling it. You know, he went down one end and reached in the pocket, got my money clip. I gave him a little bit of bread. And so, cool. I figure, and by the way, I didn't just give him like $1. I want to say I gave him 7 because I know I gave him a $5 bill, you know? So anyway, um, I don't I don't know how that would have gone had I not given him the bread. But I did give him a little bread. I don't want to act like I changed the world. I gave him like seven bucks. But after I give him the seven bucks and nobody else like puts on, he looks at me and he says, my brother, what I'm about to say doesn't have to do with you I'm saying this to these other people and I'm like okay cool because I figure he just gonna you know be like damn why damn y'all can't give me no money you know what I'm saying like I figure it's gonna be something along those lines my dude looked at the rest of the train and was like it's like you want me to have unprotected sex with somebody who has HIV. Like, that's what y'all doing right now. And I'm like, what? Like, somehow he managed to draw some parallel between people not giving him no money to unprotected sex with somebody who is HIV positive. Like, I don't know what it is. And I sat and I let him, like, I really listened because he restated the, the metaphor and, like, 
I really wanted to see like where like, what this was. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I I sincerely wanted to know how he could connect it. He never did. But yeah, I gave him seven dollars, and hopefully I stopped him from having unprotected sex with someone who has HIV. That was my good deed of the day. Also, if you're watching this on Tuesday night as you record, I guess many of you will probably be like viewing this on Wednesday. Um, I'm not going to be at work because I have what I expect to be my final uh, Invisalign appointment tomorrow. Well, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to go like this. And they're going to say my situation has been corrected. And they're going to like size me up for some retainers and I get my teeth back. I haven't had my teeth like fully to myself in like a couple of years. Right. Anyway, I just want to say this right now. Those of you who might be listening and see, I understand that I am operating to a degree from a position of privilege on this one. I had a very Cardi B like experience. I got a bag and fixed my teeth. If, if, I'm just, if you got the bread, fix your teeth, if your teeth been needing fixing, right, go ahead and do it. It makes, it makes things better than you would ordinarily think it would be. I'm telling you, man, like, it's, it's a real pickup. In fact, I was out here looking at some old clips of myself on TV, and my situation, like, wasn't miserable. But it did have me looking at y'all like y'all just had me out here like this. Like, you can fix your grill. Go ahead and fix your grill. And please understand, man, my bottom row, like, it was looking like somebody was playing the piano. And I don't mean, like, just anybody was playing the piano. I mean, like, Lil Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. You know what I'm saying? Like, it looked like they was they banging on that thing. Anyway, I had the Invisalign. Like, people people come up to me talk about it, and they'd be like, um, so, you know, how long did you have? Six months or a year? I'm like, I've been doing this for two, actually. It shouldn't have had to be that long. A couple of things just went wrong a little bit on the on the last few months or so. But yeah, nah, 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 man. If you can get if you can get your if you can get your grill situation taken care of, I really suggest you go ahead and get your grill situation taken care of. It'll make you it make you feel so much better about the world. It really will. You don't realize how much you got, like how much you've been taken from your boy. It can make your life a whole lot better. Go ahead and do yourself a little grill repair. Yeah, you've earned it. You have. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. It's Jay-Z's birthday. Do you have a favorite Jay-Z project or song? Also, the pimp did him on both songs they did together. Um, uh, yeah, I would answer yes that he got them on both songs that they did together. Uh, I mean, I think there's no arguing that Pimp and Bun got Jay on Big Pimp because the man had to go back and redo his verse before he would play that song on television in front of white folks. Right? So, like, you got that. And then I guess Get Thawed is the other one. And, like, Bun, I felt like crushed everybody on Get Thawed. I didn't, I didn't really feel like Jay or Pimp just, like, really gave you uh, something great there. Uh, but, like, so... A favorite Jay-Z project is interesting for me because Reasonable Doubt, Reasonable Doubt's his best record, Blueprint is number two. I feel like pretty much no matter who you are, you're going to have like that 
as your one and two, unless, unless, unless you graduated from high school in the year 2003. Because if you graduated from high school in the year 2003, it's become abundantly clear that the Black Album is going to be your joint. I just want to remind you that the Black Album has both Moment of Clarity and Justify My Thug on it. Just remember that. It's got them both. Right? But American Gangster might actually be my favorite one. You know, like, it's not to say that it's the best one, but I just love the aesthetic of American Gangster. I love the way it sounds. I love the way it feels. I love the place that he's in on that one. Like, Reasonable Doubt is one of those, I mean, I'm just about, I, I got something to show everybody. Y'all don't know, you know, y'all don't really know who I am. Okay, you about to know now. And so he just goes in there and books it. Blueprint has a kind of similar quality, but Blueprint really more than anything else is like really the beginning of a paradigm shift in what the sound of rap music was at the time. As good as Jay was on Blueprint and the big thing you get from Jay is a certain sincerity and emotional vulnerability that you had never had before or that when he had tried to do it before it came off as forced and it became it felt much more genuine on this record. But the reality of it is that's just blazing Kanye's record. Like they change what rap was going to sound like for the rest of the decade with that joint right there. So yeah, I probably lean on those being there. Somebody asked me about 444. I still never got around to listening to that. I guess I probably should at some point, but I ain't really cared enough. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Did you get a chance to give Oxnard a listen? Come on, homie, who you talking to? Did I get a chance to give Oxnard a listen? Of course, I gave it a chance to give Oxnard a listen. I basically listened to Oxnard and nothing but Oxnard for the last three weeks. Part of that is like me enjoying it. The other part is I really had noticed. I don't really have much desire to talk to y'all about music in the immediate aftermath of something coming out. Like, number one, nobody's got any room to talk about anything with any nuance. But to be fair to anybody that's listening to it, like a couple of days isn't really any time to develop a nuanced appreciation for whatever it is that you were listening to. And so for me, like, you know, those of y'all that's been around this for a while and know me a little bit, know. Um, like Malibu is one of my favorite records ever made. First time I listened to Malibu, I knew immediately. I'm like, man, I'm about to be listening to this bad boy for the rest of my life. And yes, I'm putting the hood back up. It looked like I'm about to rob him. But I was like, I'm going to be listening to this record for the rest of my life. I knew that immediately from the first listen i'm like dude this is absolutely incredible and it just grabs you from the tone and sound the first moment that you hear it right and then go into the second track and everything else now i think there's a couple things that malibu does that are noteworthy that kind of make it to an interesting segue into the juxtaposition between malibu and oxnard malibu swings like the drums on just about every track on that bad boy swing, right? It's got, like, I hear an influence of uh, Voodoo from D'Angelo, which is a record that I don't love. But one thing about it is, though, it does swing, right? Just the time and the way. Every time you got a snap or a hand clap or a finger snap or something, they all swing. The other thing about Malibu is, from start to finish, no matter what the topic is or what the song is or what the angle is, I feel like the dominant emotion is love. And like there's, there's an emotional resonance that comes through. And like part of the emotional resonance I think that comes through is, is much more of an analog sound. It's much more 
like there, you know, there's live band stuff on this record, but it's much more a band that's kind of on the other joint, you know, um, a lot more pack playing the drums on Malibu, like a lot of those things, but it, like you can feel the love. You can go track, track, track. And when you're really pointing a lot to love, and even if like the love is not explicitly discussed, you could absolutely feel, I felt in the tone and temper of his voice that he was loving what it was that he was doing. That ain't there on Oxnard. And in fact, I would say that the highlights of the record are those that come from a perspective of love. Right? Like, if you think about it, so um, Trippy, like Trippy, that's a love song. Trippy is dope as hell. J. Cole kills that too. But Trippy is dope as hell in that way. And you can kind of feel that in what he's talking about. Uh, Cheers. Even if he talked about Mac Miller, there's some, there's a love there and there's an energy that comes along with that love that you can kind of like expressly hear and that's there. But like even a song like like the Smile Petty Joint, the Smile Petty Joint, like it's not really about love. Like this is the fame record almost, which is interesting because I don't even necessarily know how famous the dude is. But I feel like this is a lot of like the hedonism of fame and what's the best way to put it? Like the weight of it, right? Like coping with what I would say is kind of the change of life and all that stuff right there. Like I feel like this is a much more like of a paranoid sort of record at, you know, at different points in this. Like, you know, even Tense, which feels good. Like that's a song that's kind of based in a certain measure of paranoia. You know, but it's there, right? It's it feels in a lot of ways like a much more superficial sort of record than Malibu. Like Malibu felt like much more of an exploration of kind of feelings and themes. And what I feel like what you got with Oxnard is a lot of songs that really sound good. And damn, they really, really do sound good. And I don't want to pretend as though it's not good. Right. Like I can just say that that's kind of the juxtaposition that makes, I think, Oxnard a very good record versus Malibu, which I think is a timeless record. Like Oxnard may prove to be that. I may feel that in some sense, but like talking about the drums, for example, other than the ninth wonder joint, I don't feel like the drums really swing on this one anywhere, but the ninth wonder joint, like it, it absolutely does. The other thing is this has got a lot more Dre, like Dre did the mix on it. You got Dre producing on a couple of tracks. One thing about a Dre record though, like whether, like not saying this is good or bad necessarily, but Malibu was a bit noisier, but not in a distracting sort of way. Dre going to whittle away all the noise. Dre, Dre, like that, that's not what Dre is giving you. Dre is giving you an absolutely minimal approach to what the sound is going to be. Uh, Malibu did not sound minimal. In fact, in some places it sounded big. This one sounds a lot more minimal. Minimal. However, okay, Tense is jamming. Who Are You is dope. I don't know if like super jamming, but it's dope, right? Six Summers to Save Your Road are jamming. Um, Brothers Keeper is, like, maybe I just love the tracks where Pac plays the drums, but he rips that one. Anywhere is really good. Trippy's incredible. Cheers is dope, dope, dope. By the way, on Cheers, we got Dr. Dre and Q-Tip producing on the same track. We also got a really, really dope Q-Tip verse, and a Q-Tip verse that's dope in such a way that all right so we know the andre 3000 influence right 
we know the Andre 3000 influence that like Q-Tip has on him. We know that. What was interesting about this is I felt like that Q-Tip verse, I can't tell if it just spells out how much of Andre's style is influenced by Q-Tip or if this is a matter of Andre now going back in the opposite direction and influencing Q-Tip. Because that very much so felt like, like lyrically speaking, that very much so felt like an Andre 3000 verse. It did. And it's cold as hell. Uh, Sweet Chick is interesting because it's basically girls, girls, girls for the 20, like for, 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 for whatever we're going to call it this decade when time comes. And so the thing about girls, girls, girls is you absolutely could not make this in uh, 20. No, you couldn't do girls, girls, girls in 2018. Not on the basis of race. You could not do that. So they had to find a way to do girls, girls, girls without making it about like race and ethnicity and stuff like that. And so it was just different types of women. And I don't know how cool that is or is not, right? Because, I mean, it, it is it is a humor that you could probably say is rooted in a certain measure of misogyny, right? But I guess also, like, I think about a lot of, like, tracks like that. I think about kind of like when the DJ gets on at the club and says something about, ladies, if you tired of these dudes, ain't got no money in their pocket, Breath be stinking, ha ha, yeah, yeah. You know, you just kind of have like call response back and forth on that sort of stuff. And the robbery skit is uh, hilarious. Now, my man Carl says in the chat room that it's kind of immaturity misogyny. And see, that is the thing that I find to be interesting about Oxnard versus Malibu is that Malibu comes with its own sort of immaturity and like, and not even in a problematic way, but it isn't the most grown up record in the world, even though that dude was like 28 years old when he did it. This somehow, it feels more adult in the not good ways, like in the more cynical ways, and perhaps not as adult as I would prefer on some of the deeper levels. But this thing jamming, like every time I listen to it, I listen on the train on the way to work, man, I'm riding with it. I like, I really, really, really like it. I am just very, very curious to know how I would feel about it if there were no Malibu right because I had to keep going like one time I ran through it on Spotify and I got to the end oh left to right don't like that I think that's kind of why but anyway I got to the end and it goes off of Oxnard and then the first song you know Spotify just throw something else up there the first one was off of Malibu and I'm like yo man you need to send a letter to Spotify pack and you need to tell them um don't be playing no Malibu after Oxnard because then I'm going to just go back to listen to Malibu all the time. And it ain't even Oxnard's fault, right? That's Malibu's fault. Malibu jamming as hell. But no, nah, Anderson Pack is still my dude. Like, of all these new cats that's out here in this day and age right now, like, that's still the one that I'm looking at. Like, if I got to pick one dude, that's the dude I'm riding out with. Somebody else asked a question about uh, Malibu. And I think the question was that I think he was rapping too much. Oh, Malibu. And I'm like, no, like, I don't care if he raps every song. I don't care if he sings every song. Right. I'm good with whichever one he gives us. Absolutely. Whichever one he gives us. But I think of him as a rapper more than I think of him as a singer. You know, so like we got all the raps in the world. I'd be great with. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
When will people in general stop conflating simple assault and domestic violence? They are not always the same when a man and woman are involved. I think this is an important point. I know Diana Moskovitz of Deadspin wrote something about this. And this like stems off of a sports topic, um, which I can't talk about here contractually. But I can say that I think that people need to understand that domestic violence is not a catch-all term for violence against women. So like when I think about the society, we have a general thing as it relates to like violence against women. A specific type of violence against women is domestic violence. They're a partner violence, like things within relationships. And that one becomes different because that's what you're dealing with somebody that's like beating the hell out of this woman all the time or whoever the person is that you're with, right? That comes with a different set of issues and concerns when we talk about this stuff, right? Now, you can have like violence... Like other forms of violence against women. So if you got a dude that, for example, slaps a woman at the club or something like that, right? Chances are that stems from a same like hatred of women and all the problems that come along with it that domestic violence will. But domestic violence is a much different animal that requires a much different discussion than just any discussion of a man hitting a woman in a hallway of a hotel or something like that. Those are not the same thing. And so what I think happens there is I think that people hear the term domestic violence and I think they just think of it as a euphemism, right? Like we, we use all kinds of euphemisms all over the place so we can avoid talking about exactly what something is. But people talk about domestic violence all the time, right? Just the term domestic violence. But it winds up being like a lot of words, like every now and then just read through something and think about something that you'll see or like a word that you use. But if somebody asks you to define it, you can't. So like if you were to go and ask, um, like, like 10 people, what is the definition of domestic violence? I don't think you'll get nine correct answers. Like maybe you get the majority, but I think people think that anybody hitting a woman is domestic violence. Like it's never been quite spelled out. And I think that's one of those things you probably have a lot of people who are ashamed to ask because they feel like they're supposed to know. But those two terms are conflated all the time and it kind of interferes with what a discussion is. So like, um, Nah, I can say this right quick. Kareem Hunt and Ray Rice have different stories. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How do you feel about the variance in public response to Bush Sr.'s passing? Like, what do you mean, how do I feel? Different people feel different ways. Like, okay, there's going to be a variance. If a lightning bolt hits me in the middle of this, there's going to be a variance in the way that people respond um, when I die. Like, that's what it's going to be. This is the this is the thing, though, that I think is happening with this. And I don't really feel like relitigating the war on drugs or war in Iraq or anything else. Da, da, da. This, however, is where I think a like the fundamental disconnect is coming in with a lot of the discussions that people are having. I think that it is much easier for white people to look at the history George Herbert Walker Bush and in the end be like, ah, yeah, but that's just the game. You know, so like if you look at like Willie Horton, for example, that whole thing, I think it's easy for white people to look at Willie Horton and be like, hey, man, he was just trying to win an election. Like, never mind, like what the impact of doing something like that is on the lives of other people. Like, never, never mind, you know, how that reinforces things that makes life very difficult for some of us. I think white folks can look at that and just be like, hey, man, but that's the game. 
You know, like I don't think it's that like dissimilar to if you get a bunch of men standing around talking to each other. And this is like a much more minimal issue, but you'll get where I'm coming from. But like dude to talk about a lie that he told a woman to get a woman to sleep with him. And that's like extra messed up. But dudes look at it like, yeah, man, but he's just trying to get some, you know, like all the things that people absolve in the name of trying to get some. I think that it's really easy for people to do that on a lot of this election stuff. Where they're like, well, he didn't really mean that he was trying to win an election, you know. And so as a result, you can take stuff like that and then people can separate it. But yeah, but no, but he was very nice. Like, look at this letter that he sent me when I was sick, in spite of what our differences are, or whatever it is. And there's like a graciousness that comes from a man's like being able to do that. And I do think that's somewhat noteworthy about Bush. And if I knew him, that would probably be something that I would refer to, you know, to talk about like the warmth of what kind of person he was and stuff like that. And so what you're going to have is like people that are in the man's life or that knew him or whatever, they're going to think of him in terms of what they know. You're going to have a lot of people who don't know him at all. And they're going to think about him in terms of the impact of like policy and stuff like that. And what they think about is how that had an effect on their lives. Like, yeah. So there's good. So there's going to be that level of variance, but the big one is not even the big one, but I mean, like I remember when Nixon died, people did the same thing when Nixon died as they did when Bush died. Like, it wasn't like Nixon died and all of a sudden people are like, yo, let's go do this Watergate thing again. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't work that way. That that isn't the way that they handled it. Like, as a society, we kind of have a general way that we handle things when people die. And it's normally exceedingly polite. You know, like somebody dies, you got something bad to say about him. You don't say nothing. I don't know, like, what the waiting period is, how cold the body got to get. But that's normally like the way that it's going to happen. And so I think then Bush dies and, you know, people start talking about, you know, well, this is a good guy because he did X, Y and Z. And the other people that are like, yeah, but he also did A, B and C and A, B and C come first in the alphabet. Right. You know, but I don't know. I don't necessarily expect folks no matter how true what they're saying is to run somebody down right after they die. Like if you get a chance, go check the Miami Herald's obituary of Fidel Castro, which, you know, is something that they had been working on and been ready for, for God knows how long, right. You know, for when the day came that they had to run the Fidel issue, but go read it. I mean, this is the Miami Herald. There is no love lost for Fidel Castro. And there are really, I don't think, any punches pulled on their assessment of his time and of his legacy. But it never felt like they were out there to run him down. That's just, that's just not normally what we do. It's just not it. You know? And so another part that I think becomes interesting is kind of the role that social media plays in this. And I always say the thing about social media is, if you don't have like visibility, your social media feed is really just you talking to your friends. You can basically say what the hell ever because it's just you talking to your friends. Like maybe something gets retweeted and you get thrown out to strangers, but nobody's really paying attention to you. It's just you talking to your crew. But if you got some measure of visibility, and that's not what it is. Like it's a public statement and people typically make kind hearted public statements about folks when they die damn near no matter how terrible they are 
but I also get why somebody, depending on who the person, what they talk about, doesn't feel like hearing it. But I, I mean, come on, I get real. Like, what do you think? What, like, what did you think that people were going to say? What did you think that they were going to do? You can think some people went farther than you wanted, but they, I mean, that's a collision of a lot of factors. Uh, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Seems like you interact less on social media. Did the bots ruin it? And how smart will the bots get in your opinion? I'm very curious how smart the bots will get. I don't have any answer for how smart the bots will get. But I ask you this as a serious question. Because, you know, I've had to think about things in different ways because of my job and, you know, different conversations that have been around that and stuff like this. But what I, like, what is there for me in 2018 to get out of social media, right? Like, Twitter ain't making me more visible. There was a time where it did. It's not making me more visible anymore. That's just what it is. So what do I get out of it? What I got out of Twitter more than anything else before was interaction. I enjoy actually going back and forth with people, and it would be a lot of fun. Y'all ain't over there having too much fun. And on top of y'all and the bots and everything else, man, like, uh, I think it was Ray Thompson, right? He works at ESPN the Magazine. And I forget where he did this interview, but he was just like, yo, why are you walking around giving people permission to motherfuck you all the time? And those people don't hurt my feelings, right? Like, I always say I'm built for it and everything else. But after a while, man, it just kind of gets old because the negative stuff, like, ain't, ain't no happy bots, Right? So the bots come in on the negative, and then you just got people that's just sitting around all the time mad as hell, and they just want to fire off at me about the fact that they mad as hell. And, like, I can't even interact on there with my friends. When my friends see me tweet something that they think is interesting, they send me a text. And when my friends say something online that I find interesting, I send them a text. Because if I do that in the middle of that stuff, man, they're going to get caught up in that same nonsense. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people want, like, folks with certain measures of visibility to get on social media and interact like everybody else. Can't do it. It's not possible. Like, at least not on the level of, like, follower and stuff that I got. Can't be done. You can't do it. You can't. And so, yeah, I get on there every now and then, like, and send something. But mm -mm. I find I talk about anything halfway serious. And it's it's just a bot show. Like it just it just immediately, it is a bot show. And what's the point? So it's like just block and move on. But the thing is, man, you know how much blocking I have to do. My guys to announce it. I don't even do it anymore. There's this blocking I have to do just for them to start up another one. I right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Somebody says, would, your, would meeting Idris Elba in person change your opinion of him? How the fuck would I know? I don't know what he's like. Like, he might actually be a bigger jerk than I thought. What are you talking? Oh, let me see what else. Let me see what else. Let me see what else. Somebody just said in the chat room, unblock me, Bo would be a great segment. Yeah, we know. Somebody here talking about, can you break down the dating scene in New York City? What does that even mean? They're men. They're women. Occasionally, they spend money and hang out. Oh, boy, somebody come with a question. Because the ones I got here ain't really doing the trick. And that means I'll just quit. Yeah, you know what? Let's, let's just make sure our server can handle this one. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. I'm going to try to do this thing once a week, once every couple weeks, somewhere in there. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you can't catch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe on Stitcher Radio, check us out on SoundCloud. We are also at Google Play. And uh, yeah, man, talk to you guys a little later. Take it easy.